Hi, you're listening to The Floating Point on Rave Pubs Radio. I'm your host, Hope Roth. And this month we have Patrick Murray, uh, an independent programmer, who's here to talk to us about standards because standards are fun and exciting. Welcome, Patrick. Thanks, Hope. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here. Um, before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Ingram Micro, for all of your AV and IT needs. Check out Ingram Micro. So, Patrick, um, you, uh, you have sort of an interesting uh, niche, not niche, but, uh, well, I guess tell us, tell us about what you do, where you live, which is interesting, and how you got where you are today. Right. Um, well, I'm an independent programmer, and I'm originally from New Jersey, but I live in Germany because my wife won the battle of where to live, so... About 12 years ago, we moved to her hometown in Germany, and uh, that's when I became an independent programmer. Before that, I worked in New York, New Jersey, doing AV stuff in the conference rooms and the like. Nice. My husband is actually a Finnish citizen, so I guess if things ever go really sour in America, I will look to you uh, for, for how to flee to Europe and become a, an independent programmer. <laughs> there you go. Can it apply for asylum to get out of the States due to the new president? well see i i may 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 or may not have already looked this up but uh he's a citizen my daughter's a citizen and uh because of that i get to just sneak into the country so you could get a green card for sure yeah whatever whatever the finnish equivalent is so it's cold there it is really cold it's cold here right now though so it's you know and dark and dark it is really dark there i don't it's not a serious plan if my boss is listening i'm not planning on We're not big on reindeer jerky in our house, so, but the, the two of them do love the snow, so they would be pretty happy. Uh, anyways, thank you for joining us. Um, we have, I have slightly ulterior motives in having you on in that you and I are both very interested in seeing our industry focus a little more on programming standards and having, um, having you on to talk about that is, is hopefully will encourage other people to think the same way. That would um, be great. Yes, that would be great. Um, I, f- I find, uh, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna launch into my spiel as a, a way of starting us off. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that there's sort of two two divergent sort of situations that you have in programming. One is cookie cutter systems through a manufacturer or a template or something like that, where people don't really have a lot of room to maneuver within them. And then the other is the wild wild west, which is what most of us are, are interested or work in, where you just sort of do whatever code makes the system work um, and woe be to the person who has to pick it up after you or make any changes. Um, do you find that as well in your work as an independent programmer? I guess I should ask, do you, find, do you, ha- do you often have to pick up the code of other people and, and make it work or, or make changes to it? Oh yeah, at least once a year since I've been in business, I have to completely reprogram at least one system every year. It's, um, yeah, interesting. So, and my take on that is, yeah, programming is almost always an afterthought. I know that there are a lot of integrators and consultants out there who are really good with planning, but I think it happens way too often that programming is simply an afterthought, and uh, it's a real shame. I agree with you on that one. Um, you know, and, and Infocom has some standards. They have some GUI standards about where buttons should go and about how a system should generally focus, uh, should generally run. But I, I think that it's dashboard for controls. Dashboard for controls, yes. Sure. Um, so you know, there is some stuff out there, but I don't think that there's the same standards that you have 
like, I mean, I mean, some of it is just about the physical limitations about some of the things that Infocom is concerned with, like cable runs and and bend ratios and things like that. Those are standards for a reason because if you break them, the system will physically not function. But I think I would argue that if you're not using a good programming system, then your system's not really fun functioning either. Um, and that there are certain ways that a system should behave that, that most of us generally adhere to, but there's not really, there's not really one way to program a system and, and, and yeah, the, the, uh, just the, the wide variety of things that we see out there. Uh, it's pretty mind-boggling. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's really what integration is all about. It's making the best solution for a particular situation. And yeah, one customer's needs may be completely different than another customer. So we really do need the flexibility. And using the word standards can be a little scary because you feel like you're, you may feel like you'll have some of that flexibility taken away from you, which <clears throat> should definitely be avoided, of course. So my angle is more to use more open programming languages. Like software is, it's just software. So the software doesn't care what kind of hardware it runs on. And there's nothing stopping you from making a control system out of really anything nowadays. Uh, if you compare it to a navigation system, right? It used to have a suction cup on it. It needed that special hardware to run. Mm -hmm. And now every phone comes with a, a navigation software program installed on it. And it was always a software application but it used to need special hardware to run. And it's very much the same thing in AV. At least that's how I feel about it. Uh, <laughs> we really did need a special control processor. It was something special, but those days are over. It is really, it's not the future. It's actually the past that you can really turn anything into a control system. I would agree with you on that one. And then I think it's better for, for consumers because, because then the best app wins, right? So Absolutely. if you're, uh, we've had some terrible GPS systems in our family. And then, you know, to be able to just say, oh, I want to use this app or I want to use that app. Um, but, you know, the hardware manufacturers, they maybe it will force them to innovate as well. Um, I have CarPlay in my car. We have a nice German automobile, actually. Nice. <laughs> and uh, um, I have CarPlay in my car. And, and actually, to talk about open standards, it is very annoying. I'm forced to use Apple Maps if I want the, the app up on my screen. Um, right. But, you know, the, so I guess sometimes the hardware manufacturers are forced to innovate in order to lock you back into something. Um, but it is, it is nice that, you know, anyone can use their phone in my car and put their stuff up there. So I guess there's. Sure, that trade-off of, you know, the vendor lock-in, there's definitely a trade-off. You know, sometimes it really does make sense to uh, use one manufacturer for everything, but that's just not always the case. Like we were just saying, there's so many different systems out there, and our job is to make the best solution for any situation, and it's, it's not always going to be the same. No one can be everything to everyone. Yeah, so where do you, so where do you start in, 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 I don't want to say forcing standards on people, but encouraging standards, encouraging people to use best practices? Where do you think that starts? What's, what's the low-hanging fruit? Um, I, personally, I think the low-hanging fruit is uh, remote management systems because you can run up a start a service in the cloud for nothing, I mean, it really costs nothing to use Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure, IBM Bluemix. It costs nothing. You can log in and you can start playing with it today. Those are the same platforms that 
uh, pretty much everybody is using, no matter what size of the company, big manufacturers, little guys, they're all using the same platforms. So, and it's, it's not mission critical. So we've really been designing systems the same for almost 30 years now. And to say overnight, well, let's just start using a Raspberry Pi for control. That's a bit too much. I agree with that. Um, I, I mean, I've done it, but you, you start small. You don't roll out a whole building like that. So doing something like a remote management system, you could even give it away for free to your customer to test it out. It's running in the cloud and yeah, then you're just making HTTP requests to that cloud service and storing data, giving notification, and maybe you could even open a WebSocket and do some light control. So for me right now, I think that's one of the most interesting things that uh, really can't break anything. Very true. Um, how about security? Are we worried about people rolling their own management software and not using a secure connection? Right. Well, <laughs> use a secure connection. I mean, this is basic, <laughs> basic uh, computer or internet citizenship. Anybody that knows how to use a computer should know, you know, look for HTTPS, change your passwords regularly and things like that, limit user roles, right? If you're gonna share things on the internet with people um, and they don't need right access, don't give it to them. And I think sometimes this conversation is a little over-exaggerated when you compare it to everything that we do on the internet today. I mean, how much information are you really putting out there personally, or even in a business sense? How many businesses use uh, software as a service applications every day to do their customer management and things like that, really sensitive data. And it's all just being stored in the cloud. So it's not like this isn't um, normal business. I mean, people use these things all the time. And I really think with just a few simple things like changing your passwords regularly and making sure you're using a secure connection that you're just as safe as you can be. There's, there's no such thing as 100% security on the internet or in real life. But um, there are a few simple things you could do to really be ahead of the curve and make it as secure as possible. I mean, HTTPS, do you log into your bank with that? So if it's as safe as your bank, then I mean, turning TVs on and off. Well, some banks are safer than others, I guess I should say. <laughs> but sure, it's definitely worthy of consideration. You really got to uh, make sure, like if you're doing port forwarding to a TCP port, I think everybody agrees that that's not a smart way to do it anymore. Exactly. Right. Well, and I guess you could argue that when you when you when you uh, when you use the built-in tools and you're not rolling your own systems, I think then people who have no idea what they're doing are much more likely to be able to get a system up and online that doesn't um, meet certain standards for security. Um, but, but these if are things that But but I'm I, I think I'm agreeing with you on this one where if you you're rolling your own, then you have to have a base level of knowledge in order to get it up and running. Although I guess there's, there's tutorials online, everything like that. So my take on this is we should be learning as much as we can. And I think anybody in AV who, who likes their job does have a normal curiosity, like a, a curiosity about how things work. So I really don't see that as being a big obstacle. And I think it's even better because then we're even more educated instead of just taking something that's been done for you um, where you don't really know how it works, then you're actually, you know, being forced to, to learn how it works. Like, like you could hook up a, an amplifier and blow things up, right? No. 
<laughs> but that doesn't stop people from doing it. You need to learn how to design your systems properly, how to install them properly. And for me, this is just exactly the same learning flow. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, I think if you're not intellectually curious, you're not going to make it very far as a programmer these days. The, the days of, of banging a few things out on your keyboard, seeing if it worked, and then trying again are, are pretty much past us. Well, that's part of our history, right? Programmers are, uh, well, not relatively new, but um, we're, we're kind of peripheral mm -hmm. in the AV scheme of things. And yeah, 10 or 15 years ago, there wasn't really a big programming community. It was usually the engineer who did the programming or the guy on site just had to connect a few buttons to, to make the VCR go into play. And that's kind of our history where we're coming from. And we've inherited a lot of habits from that history that I think we should work on because it'll just improve the way things are done. So yeah, programming is complicated and you do need to uh, spend some time educating yourself. Yeah, I know, and, and uh, you know, I, I see people complaining about, for example, Crestron Masters is coming up next month, and, and Crestron has introduced a, uh, a part of their, of their Crestron certification is that you have to attend Masters at least once every three years. And anytime I hear somebody complain about having to go to Masters to keep their certification up, I kind of, uh, there's a mental checkbox that gets unchecked for me, if that makes sense, because you should want to go to um, to a training, you know, and you can debate the, the merits of, of masters uh, outside of the, you know, the benefits of going to regular training, because I know that some people have had some issues with some of the classes there. But, you know, a lot of the classes there are great. And the, the biggest benefit for me has always been to go and to sit at a table with people who are smarter than me and ask them questions. Um, and I think you need to have that curiosity and that wanting to learn. And anyone who doesn't want to immerse themselves in that environment, I'm, I'm very skeptical. Of. <laughs> well, of course, especially in something like programming, right? If, if you're just hanging a TV on the wall, that's one thing. But if, if you're coding up systems and uh, doing more complex, of course, you need to learn. It's how, how can you not um, unless you've been doing things the same way for 15 years and you don't want to change, which is kind of the antithesis of what we do. If you work in technology, it's always changing. It's constantly changing. It's actually amazing that we could still use these older <laughs> development yeah. environments. It really is amazing that they've, they've held on so long and that they're still really useful. That's true. That's true. I mean, if you look at, at sort of the general technology industry, the tools that are available to people who do other kinds of technology, you know, if you told them they'd be using the same software suite 15 years later, they'd laugh at you. We're all, no still, we're all still using simple windows. Well, some of us are. Exactly. And it works just fine. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and it's people put in the effort that one thing that I find interesting is, is the, um, sort of the, the way that the certifications have even changed on the Crestron end where it's a lot harder to get certified now than it used to be. Um, but it also means that you have people out there that got certified when you could really just bang on a keyboard and, and get your certification. Um, so, and I think, and I think uh, being a certified programmer still means a lot in our industry. Um, and then you can show that you've gone to masters and taken your training and your silver, gold, platinum, whatever. Um, but, um, there's not really another certification in the industry that's, you know, issues to a standard the way that a CTS does. And do you think that there's a place for something like that? 
Um, I, I really think that um, I, so there's a lot of talk of convergence, right? Obviously AV, IT, I think it's, it's like one field now. There, if you're an AV, IT engineer or programmer, you're, you're never just an AV programmer or an AV engineer. There's always an element of IT. Mm-hmm. So there's this convergence that happens. We're using the network to do stuff. Yep. The tools that we use, I wonder if there'll be some kind of divergence with that because um, companies need to grow. So you see it all the time. Manufacturers just keep growing. They, they uh, sold all the touch panels they're going to sell, so they start making matrix switchers. And they keep expanding their products line and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what they're supposed to be doing. But the propri- and in order to maintain that, it needs to remain proprietary. Now, we were talking earlier about control is nothing really special anymore. It can run anywhere. The hardware doesn't care. So I see a bit of a divergence of things becoming more proprietary on the manufacturer side. But we have this option of using more open tools, more standards-based tools from yeah, basically from web development technologies, things like JavaScript, Node.js, uh, using the browser. So consultants, integrators, programmers have that option and there's nothing stopping them from exploring that and using it. And I've tested it myself. It works just fine. Um, and you're actually, there's a lot of benefits for the end user. You know, you're not tying them into any particular platform. The data is usually more portable. It's more flexible, but there aren't many people who are doing it. So that, that's the challenge I see. And I wonder if that, that, um, that, that this uh, proprietary versus open type of mindset, if it really does have any legs, because I really find it hard to imagine that everything over the next few years will remain proprietary only. That there's, place, there's a time and a place for that. There are situations where that's valid and, and the best thing for the end user but there's just as many situations where you want to be flexible and use some open source type development environments. Yeah. Well, and I wonder if the proprietary stuff sort of becomes the huddle space, right? Where you have 50 rooms that you all want to be the same and it's all, you know, standard space. Maybe it seems like the big control manufacturers don't want to work with each other, but that they could maybe help each other out by saying, you know, this is the way we're going to do a huddle space. This is the way we're going to do um, you know, this, that, the other thing, you know, anything that basically comes pre-programmed for you. And then, um, well, then, then it's a solution, right? That, that, yeah. That's another aspect of it is at some point you even really need an integrator anymore. Yeah. If, if, if you're talking about simple huddle rooms, I mean, an electrician can ins- pull the cables, install the TV, and then it's just some software to deploy. Where do you really need that, uh, special knowledge that, that, that the integrator has, that that could be another interesting aspect of it. And at ISC a few weeks ago, one of the recurring themes that I heard was, is we have to stop selling black box A versus black box B and really start listening to end users and delivering only what they need and mm-hmm. make it simple. And that for me, it's kind of strange for um, manufacturers to be uh, talking about this idea because, well, then in the end, what do they really need an integrator for? Yeah. 
which is kind of interesting because I actually I work a lot in commercial lighting and so all of our equipment is actually installed by electricians yeah <laughs> and then I go and I program it after the fact and where we were where we really shine is in big buildings where you have to kind of look at the architecture of the thing as a whole and and make it so that the economies of scale in installing you know 50 room controllers for lights um if it does, if, if it eats up your whole programming budget because it takes you too long to configure each one, then you're not really taking advantage of the fact that it's basically a commodity at this point. So then Absolutely. you become more like a deployer than a programmer even. Um, I have a feeling that this is one of those podcasts that's going to make me wonder if I'll have a job five years from now. <laughs> we were about due for one of those. <laughs> you know, I think it's important and okay. That I, I, sometimes I... I detect a little bit of fear to talk about things in AV and um, it's crazy. Well, why can't we talk about technology? Nobody's plotting to overthrow anything. These technologies are there. The tools are there. Let's use them. I mean, let's, you know, we're curious about it anyway. We don't really have to wait for a manufacturer to tell us what, how they think it should be done. It's actually our job to figure out what, what we think the way things should be done. Yeah, and to think about what's best for our customers. And sometimes what's best for our customers is a box that, you know, works when you, when you pull it out of the cardboard. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think some of the pushback that you see against some of these sort of pre-programmed wizard spaces is from people who say, well, you know, they're going to take my job. You know, I can program better than some box from a manufacturer. I give it the special touch. Look at this little flare that I did. And you know, there is a place for the special touch and the flair and the knowing your customer and making things look cool and things like that. But at the end of the day, I think the customer wants a standard experience. If they have, you know, if they're a global company, they want their conference room in Europe to work the same as it does in the United States as the same it does in Asia. And if they can't get a local integrator that can program to your standards, you know, maybe they, maybe they would like a little bit less flair and a little more standards. So here's a crazy idea that's been floating around my head recently, and it has to do with the, the way things are developed. So in AV, you're talking about lighting or whatever. We make a spec, statement of work, and that's how it gets programmed, and you're done. And if you look at the way a lot of software is developed, it's done in a more agile manner where they roll out the absolute minimal functionality and then they wait for feedback from the real users and make upgrades, you know, have a lot of meetings and really tightly define what kind of upgrades they need and then roll those out. And that, that type of agile development could really be interesting, especially in uh, the situation that you just mentioned where you have a worldwide deployment. There's no way you're going to nail that on the first time. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't care how good you are. You're not going to give them everything they need the first time around. And that is really how AV is typically done. Um, sure, you'll have some support in your statement of work, but it's always just kind of, yeah, just some support. It's, it's not really baked into the cake that things will change over time. And I think that could really be interesting and definitely be valuable for the end users where they really plan on making upgrades and plan on, getting feedback from the people who use the systems and make updates based on that. And in that case, then you really do need a software developer who's on your team and is going to be there for the long term. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think one of the biggest challenges in our industry is finding software developers um, because it's a very, it's a very wide leap to get from 
a pre-configured system or a software package that's been out there for 15 years to real sort of enterprise software development tools. Uh, and a lot of us just don't have that time. I've been making the time to learn Simple Sharp Pro, um, and and I've been very fortunate to have a boss that's very supportive of that because it saves them money in the long run with some of the things that I've put together with configuration files, and we can deploy a system much more uh, efficiently than we used to because I have put together a standard for my company. Um, but you know, if somebody could go and work at a software startup and make six figures out of college, you know, how do you pull them into our industry? Um, I really think we have enough programmers. Of course, you could always use more. And there's this question of how do you get young talent interested in AV? But if you could, if you're an AV programmer now, you can learn how to program anything. I really don't like this attitude that, oh, you're just an AV programmer. You don't know how to do real programming. I mean, you've learned enough already. You learn the pro programming languages you use now. There, there was a time when you went to training and you sat down and you made mistakes and you learned how to do it. And everybody who's an AV programmer today went through that. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason why we can't up our game and advance our skills and, um, and learn. And taking the time to do it is the biggest challenge because everybody's busy. But yeah, so where's the incentive to take that time and do it? I don't know. Yeah. And for me, it's just personal curiosity. And I really, it, the first time you use some kind of an open source programming language or you post something to a cloud application that you deployed yourself, it's, it's really cool. It's like that first time you made the lights go on and off. It, you get the bug really quick. Yeah. So I would really just encourage anyone to uh, just take an hour a week and learn something new. Yeah, I think it's a real tragedy of the commons for our industry, actually, that as, and the industry as a whole would be better if our programmers got some more knowledge in standards, open source, the tools that are out there, what other people are doing, but nobody on an individual level really is going to see that advantage right away. So it's, it's I don't know if exactly. the tragedy it's of the commons is, but basically an, an office fridge, everybody's better off if people clean up their stuff but nobody on an individual level is better off doing it so you you end up with six week old chinese takeout molding <laughs> yeah it goes back to the beginning av is off uh programming is often an afterthought yeah and until i guess until end users or consultants really start making this important putting it in the spec uh then it is up to us to improve our own skills and take the time for it because things change. That's the only thing that's certain. Yeah. And software really is eating the world. And there's no reason why it won't come to AV. Yeah. Well, you know, my great, great grandfather delivered coal for a living. You know, you could be the world's greatest coal deliverer, but you know, eventually that job is just not going to exist anymore. And as much as you want to protect yourself as it sort of transitions out, you know, you, you do have to you do have to figure out what the jobs of the future are and i guess if we all knew what the jobs of the future were we wouldn't be uh typing away in our basements we'd be <laughs> we'd be making a lot more money but yeah i agree that that knowledge knowledge can never, can't hurt you it can only help you in the long run um, i think our basic mindset is completely valid for the rest of time i mean you'll always need to turn lights on and off right people will need to meet they'll need to collaborate all these, these basic principles will never change. It's just the tools that are available to us 
to improve that experience. Those are changing and they're changing, <clears throat> excuse me, they're changing rapidly and we're not, we're not really using them. We're, we're waiting for, I hate to pick on manufacturers, but we do wait for manufacturers to give us solutions and they just have a different mindset, which is perfectly valid, right? That they're doing their job. But I think it's our job if we're into software to really explore the, the tools that we could use to, uh, to improve that experience as well. Yeah, and I guess the million dollar question is how do you, how do you encourage everybody to do it? You know, with some of the standards, I think the consultants drive it a lot or the or engineers where you, you know, you have big companies that encourage people to get certified, to get, um, you know, continuing education because there's a lot of specs for a job that you can't even bid on unless you have, you know, a certain number of CTS at your company. Uh, you need to have a certified programmer to do the, to the programming language. So I think, you know, maybe the industry as a whole needs to enforce some of it, but it's hard to enforce while well, I spend an hour every Friday, you know, checking out Stack Overflow and reading stuff online. But, um, you know, I guess that's part of encouraging certifications and maybe even it's just non-AV non, uh, certifications. I, I had a Twitter conversation a few weeks ago because I'm up for my CTS and I said, well, should I get, go for the I or the D uh, instead of just, you know, pounding some renewal units? And we had a pretty interesting exchange about that. And one of the recommendations I got was actually you know, get your renewal units and then maybe get your CCNA or, you know, your uh, security certification or something like that. Um, because there are certifications out there for, you know, security and IT. And maybe sure. that's more helpful in the long run for someone like me. Could be. Could be. I think it's kind of a chicken and egg type of thing because th there's no certifications for programming in AV <clears throat> because all programming is proprietary. Right. Then if it's proprietary, then the manufacturer needs to make the certification. That's just the way it is. And that's the current state of things. So until you have open uh, standards being promoted, then there's no reason to make certification and nobody will make one. But if uh, people start saying, yeah, let's use a Raspberry Pi for our conference room or let's deploy a control app to the cloud, then there'll be a, a space for, then you'll really want to know that the person who's programming and deploying that knows what they're doing. Then you'll absolutely need some kind of a certification and it'll be, it'll be up to some, uh, an association like Infocom because it won't be proprietary. Manufacturers won't have any interest in, in providing that. So I think that could be really exciting and interesting because it'll generate a lot of conversation between us in our community. And that could be fun to figure out how this stuff applies to AV and how we can do it the best way. Yeah. Well, I have a $100,000 uh, <laughs> certification in open source. It's a BS in computer science. <laughs> it's probably overkill for what I do. And I, I, I didn't pay market rate. <laughs> nice. It's always, I, I had was filling out some paperwork once and was kind of mind boggling to look at what financially, like basically that somebody gave you the equivalent of $100,000 is a little overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> Although in Europe, I guess you guys, your kids would probably not have to pay that kind of money for college. University's free in Germany. Yeah. For Americans too. Oh, that reindeer meat's looking a little better. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, this was a fascinating conversation and I could just keep talking about this with you for hours, but um, I, it is, it is, we are recording this on a Sunday and you do have a lovely family to get back to. And I have a, I have a family that I also need to get back to. So we should probably wrap this up, but I would love to have you back on. Yeah, um, it was fun. And uh, we were, we were talking before this podcast started about how the, the war stories of programmers could make a pretty interesting podcast. So maybe we'll get you back. Definitely. <laughs> The gears are turning in my mind right now. Uh, if anyone out there has war stories that they would like to talk about on, on the record, uh, get, get in touch. Um, so we, we do finish up every podcast with a, with a lighthearted question. <laughs> Today, I think we need it more than, than usual because, you know, we, we, may, be, we may be coal miners that uh, <laughs> have jobs in a few years. <laughs> Um, so my question for you today, and, and you can you, uh, guess choice if you want to go first or if you want to make me go first. Um, what is the most um, odd, surreal, crazy job uh, job conditions you've ever you've ever been in? I mean, most of us are used to sitting on a paint bucket and balancing our laptop on our knees, but right. you know, what's the craziest thing you've ever had to deal with on a job site? Uh, the craziest it's it's hard to rank them, but I'll, I'll just pick one. So it would have to be uh, on a yacht, sitting in the master's bedroom on the floor during a storm at sea and pretty much everybody else on the boat was sick in their beds and for some reason i just decided to keep programming cross-legged on the floor with the boat going vertical and then back down and looking at the tv seeing if my changes worked oh my goodness that's crazy <laughs> i have never yeah i've heard that yachts are a, are a beast all of their own Don't i have never it. i've never programmed on a yacht before i am not interested in that <laughs> chaos chaos um, but the people that do it, God bless them, because it's a hard, that's hard work. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> maybe, I don't know, maybe it would make you less seasick. I would think that staring at your screen would make the seasickness worse. Well, the, the owner's cabins tend to be a little bit higher, so that's bad. You're supposed to get down low and in the back of the ship, and they're up in front a little bit higher, and it was a, it was a good storm. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. I don't know why I plowed through it. Some, uh, I should have just stopped. Should have just thought, well, it's not like they were going to let you off the boat, so. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, and I just lost my train of thought on, my, on what mine yes. was. So um, what was mostly it's paint buckets or, you know, they've installed everything. And so then you're covering every surface with cardboard boxes because heaven forbid your, your toes or your laptop touch it, touches anything. Right. No touch panels installed. No touch panels installed. No electricity. No electricity. Oh, the, well, the, the best one, and actually, um, Victoria Barella uh, works with me. She also has a podcast and, and writes blog posts for Rave. She tweeted the other day that the ultimate irony is working with the electricians on the lights, and there's no outlet in the electrical closet. Yeah, <laughs> that one's pretty common. Um, I, My favorite I, engineer now puts a, an outlet in the bottom of the rack, a front-facing electrical outlet. That's smart. Genius. Genius. Yeah, our stuff all goes in enclosures and it's all, you know, like industrial relay panels and everything. So we don't really get to and we don't spec any of that out. But yeah, the lack of the outlet. We're well, running an electrical or a uh, extension cord into the electrical closet. That just slays me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll tape it together. <laughs> well, here's 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 one. Um, I showed up at a job site a few weeks ago and the construction manager very kindly asked me to come back because they were pouring concrete on the floor right outside the electrical room. 
Ah, very good. So I was like hopping over bare spots just to get in and address everything and make sure the firmware was up to date and all the keypads were reporting. And then I very carefully hopped my way back out to the dry spots and then came back the next week. <laughs> did you uh, carve your name in the cement? I didn't. I should have. I was here. Hope was here. I, I didn't, but I came back and they had these lovely tiles on the floor and then the electrical room then had carpeting and that just seemed like a terrible idea to me. But... That reminds me of a time I was scheduled to test audio on the same day that the floor was being sanded. Oh yeah, that sounds Those big great. sanding machines that you can't hear anything. <laughs> There's plenty of them. Isn't construction fun? I, I'm yes. surprised that we ever managed to get an occupancy sensor tested because an active construction site is pretty much the worst place ever to make sure your occupancy sensors are working properly. And that's why there's often a return trip when things are quieter. There you go. Perfect <laughs> argument for agile development. There you go. Agile development. We're going to add in motion sensing later. <laughs> nice. Well, thank you, Patrick, so much for joining us. I'd love to have you back. I know you're probably going to master's in Amsterdam, so I will not be seeing you there, but I'm sure that I will be seeing you online. And um, for anybody who is interested in checking out some of Patrick's work, you, you have some training classes available for people. Yes? That's right. Um, yeah, I launched a new website a few weeks ago called learnavprogramming.com. And yeah, there's a, a beginner's course for a simple shot pro takes you nice and easy into how to do some programming for that, actually how to do a whole system. And it looks like this week I'll be launching a course or in the next few weeks about doing remote management systems, uh, programming and deploying your own remote management systems. There's been okay. some really good feedback on that and some interest in it. So I think I'm going to do it. Very cool. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll throw a link up on the, uh, on the recap so people can find your stuff online. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Hope. Thank you. And, uh, for all of you listening, this has been The Floating Point on Rave Pubs Radio, and we will see you soon.